If you're looking for inspiration and challenge in the world of early years and Key Stage 1 education, then you've just found it. Welcome to the Early Excellence Podcast. Hello everybody, Andy Burt here. Welcome along to episode 60 of the Early Excellence Podcast. There you go, we've made it. Episode 60, the big 6-0, and we have made it to another milestone. Um, this week we chat with Nikki Turner. Now, Nikki is an experienced EYFS leader, and she's currently the earliest lead for the Australia Academy Trust. As part of our conversation, we explore what we mean by cultural capital in the early years, which is a really interesting conversation. So here you go. Here's our podcast chat all about cultural capital. Okay, so here we are at the Early Excellence Centre, which is a bit of a different thing for the for the Early Excellence podcast. In, of course, it is normally recorded online. It's normally recorded on a Zoom call. So it's um, it's great, actually, to be able to talk to you face-to-face. Yeah. And I'm joined by Nikki Turner, um, who works for Australia. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about about Australia and, and about yes. your role? Australia? Yes, okay. Yeah, so um, I work for uh, Australia Academy Trust. So we are um, a large mat. There's schools mainly in South Yorkshire, so Sheffield, Rotherham, Doncaster. And um, there's also schools in Cambridge, um, but that's secondary schools. So I'm working with the primary schools. There's 18 primary schools in South Yorkshire, and um, I'm working with them to help them in, to improve their EYFS practice. And the overall goal is to improve outcomes for children so they've got better life chances. Fantastic. Really interesting role you have. Really, really interesting really role. Interesting. So, um, yes, and our, I've been teaching since, um, well, I started teaching in the last millennium. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I've been teaching for quite a while, 20-odd years, um, and I've learned a lot in that time. So it's really great that I can now support other teachers to develop their practice yes. from everything that kind of I've yeah. learned over my period as yeah. early years teacher. And I've always taught in the early years. Yes. I think it's something that I often say is that you couldn't do this sort of role. You know, like my role supporting teachers and practitioners, you mm. can't do it unless you've got that body of experience behind mm. you. You know, it yeah. really gives you that um, that confidence to be able to do it. But also, I think people trust what you're saying because you've got yes, that experience. Yes, have done it in real you've life. You've done it, you've made the mistakes, you've seen yes. what it's like when it works, when it doesn't work, and, and everything else in between. Yeah. And you can then hand on heart say, well, this this is my advice because I know that it works. Absolutely. And those things that I know, if I was in teaching, that would not work. Yes, exactly. And I'm only going to advise people on things that I know that that works in the classroom. Yeah from a practical point of view. Yeah, absolutely. Because it is hard being an EYFS oh, teacher. Gosh, it's hard, yeah. You've got all <laughs> of these you know, children that come in with all of these different experiences at different levels, bringing all of these different, and their brains are you yeah, know, yeah. very, very active. So, um, yeah. yeah, challenging but rewarding, absolutely. without a doubt. Without a doubt. It's my um, favourite year group. It is, yeah, all good. Um, so, when we were talking about putting the podcast together, mm-hmm. um, we had a call a couple of weeks ago, and I said, so we've got the date in the diary, what do you want to talk about? And you said to me, what I'd really like to talk about is cultural capital, mm-hmm. okay? And I was, I was kind of a little bit surprised, I wasn't sure 
I wasn't expecting you to say that because in my I'll tell you why because in my mind cultural capital has become associated with Ofsted Mm -hmm. and around a a kind of almost almost like a kind of a particular phrase and it feels to me a bit like it's become something that you do or something that you signpost as part of an inspection okay so a little bit like um that sort of British values mm. kind of idea that mm. you know that, that British values becomes a bit of a phrase for Ofsted mm. and you what you end up with is schools trying to signpost inspectors, inspectors to it by having a kind of a display up of kind of um, I don't know red double decker buses and yeah. post boxes and British things yeah. you know what I mean in, 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 in inverted commas mm. Um, and so I was a little bit surprised. And then, we, obviously, once we started to chat about it, mm-hmm. it made perfect sense mm-hmm. in, in that actually we're talking about something much more than actually something that is is kind of just a narrow thing that you might put together as, as a, almost like a box-ticking exercise. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So could we start off by by defining from your point of view what it is that you're meaning by cultural capital yes because it is so that it's kind not of really you were kind of, thinking yeah what's your perception of it yeah. so my perception of what i did in my my own practice is very different yes um it comes through like the planning dynamics really so when i was planning um i followed the four themes mm. um unique child enabling environment positive relationships learning and development and the cultural capital aspect for me is in that first layer because we're having children and the families um, that they are from come into our school and we need to know about them yes we need to know um, what makes them tick what are they all about what experiences do they have what is coming into my class because I need to know how to best support the child and the family so for me the cultural capital is basically about more the culture of the family yeah the interests of the family what makes that family unique and really I wanted to create a place of belonging so every child feels that they belong in my class, that they can see aspects of them, aspects of their family represented in my environment, because at the end of the day, we're there for an awfully long time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Isn't it? It's yeah. like five days a week from sort of like maybe half eight to quarter past three. <laughs> we're in that environment. So I wanted the children to feel like they belong. So it's that sense of identity, actually. I yes, think. yeah. That's and, what I'm, where I'm coming from. Yes, cultural absolutely. And, and, and I think all of the things that, you, that you're explaining as part of what you would say is cultural capital are absolutely right. Now, I, I um, perhaps would, would certainly have gone along with exactly the same thing and, and did as part of my practice. I probably have not, haven't really talked about it as cultural capital. Mm-hmm. Now, I've talked about it as relationships or identity yeah. or, or belonging. You know, all of those things, all of those words that you've just been using. So we're not necessarily. Yeah, and I, think this, and, I th- and I do think this is important that actually um, cultural capital is something that is important. It is something that is has, I think, a lot more depth to it, as, as you're explaining, than actually kind of just almost sort of doing a sort of surface level thing. Yeah. Um, 
it's about actually knowing your really knowing your children, knowing your really families, knowing having having those relationships with them mm-hmm. in order that first of all well being is high. Yeah. Because of course we know that you know young children or anybody really, if if you're not going to learn, you're not going to develop effectively unless you've got that high level of well being, mm-hmm. unless you feel secure unless you feel that you belong in some way unless you feel that you that the people in this group know you as an individual these are things that are not just about early years practice they're actually about being a human being aren't they this you know, is this is it, it's just, isn't it? yeah this is the thing about um in education that actually we're working with human beings mm. and we need to understand that human being and how they work and what makes them tick and I wanted to build connections with these children and the families because I felt that you know when you you meet somebody and you instantly have that connection and then you develop that good relationship with them that's how I wanted it to be for the children that they felt like a connection that we are connected together yes and because I felt that if children have got that connection with me and other members of my team their well-being is going to be higher yes we're going to have better involvement levels yeah so yes it's about through understanding the the children the families developing a sense of belonging um and um that's you know the the connection the relationship which i think is really really important and sometimes we can forget about that and you know like the unique child element of planning dynamics because we're focusing on learning and development yeah but learning and development maybe is not going to be as good as it could be if you're not looking at the cultural capital of the children that are coming into your class because they're coming in with a very wide range of experiences from from my own experience as a teacher i've had children that have like grown upon you know grown up on farms they can ride quad bikes and kdm scrambling bikes (laughs) and you know doing all like marvelous woodworking and then there's other children where their only other experience of being in the home is going to home bargains yes yeah so they've got very limited experiences and we need to understand that. Yeah, and there's a huge difference, isn't there? Massive. And um, you know that sort of that that getting to know what their background is, what their experiences are or aren't, mm-hmm. provides us with an opportunity to think. Well, actually, how do I, how do I, how do I build that into my practice? How do I take that interest, that fascination, and use it as a driver almost for what I want to teach them more of? But also, if this child hasn't had those experiences, what experiences would I want them to have? What would I want every child to have had the experience of? And and as a starting point, what have they missed, really? And that's quite idealistic, I know, but I think it's it's an important starting point to think actually, what does a child need? Because they're not going to get this time again. This is a short window of yes, time, isn't it? You have one shot yeah. at the EYFS. You're only going to have this year once. Mm. So the teacher, we need to be really mindful of that. This mm. is the only opportunity for this child. So as the teacher, I have to do my absolute best pull out all of the stops to make sure that this year has impact and that the child lives it and feels each day because every day means something Mm. 
and yes, it's not even a year, is it? Because no, we're no, no, absolutely, it's not really. And, and so there are different things here, aren't there, within it, that when a child is fascinated by something, that perhaps perhaps they see their the adults around them at home mm-hmm. being engaged in a particular job or occupation. You know, they they might have somebody at home or somebody that, that is uh, that is in their family who is a bricklayer, for example. Yeah. And then you've suddenly got this child who has been alongside somebody who is is mm-hmm. building a wall or whatever it might be, or 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 fixing a car or, or whatever it might happen to be. And this child, because of that experience, knows more about that than the other children will. Yes. And I think it's important to know that, first of all, as an adult in the class, but also to be able to to use that information to help that child feel like an expert in it. Mm. So to for them to, to think, well actually I know a lot about this. I'm the I'm the class expert in mm. this. I can I can tell other children about this. Yeah. And to remember when we're telling a story or to when we are doing whatever we happen to do and that subject area comes up fixing cars or whatever it yes. might be we say oh Fred you'll know about this or whoever it might mm. be you tell, tell everybody about that well that's cool because you'll know about yes. this that's called the, yes. the engine of the car it or that's is. whatever that might be and we were always looking for opportunities for that where the child can actually become the teacher yeah and the adult is the one that's learning. Yes. And I found very often with, because um, lots of children are actually interested in superheroes. Yeah. And it might be that you think, oh, no, I don't want to have superheroes in, in class because it involves kind of like fighting and all of this sort of stuff. So you kind of veer away from it. But actually, superheroes can be a really motivating factor for children. Lots of children really love them. So it's a, a really valuable kind of like resource to tap into. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then it might be that you don't know about all of the um, new Marvel characters that are coming out, and the child then teaches you all about it and the powers that they've got and storylines, and yeah, they've got lots of information, yeah. and then the child feels good and it gives them that element of control. Yes, I think I wanted that as well from um, bringing in sort of like the cult using cultural capital is giving some autonomy to children as well. That they have control over elements of not everything, but certain things that are happening in provision. Yeah, and and, and that that is a crucial crucial skill, isn't it? That Mm self-control is a crucial skill. You know, whether we're talking about sort of self-regulation skills mm-hmm. or independent skills, um, even those kind of independent thinking skills of, of, of thinking through, well, what am I going to do with my time now? Mm-hmm. You know, what what's my idea and how am I going to do it? Those are all important things, aren't they? They're, they're important, important skills and attributes as part of learning, really. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... So we've got that idea of, of really what we mean by cultural capital mm. in, and, and that why it's important also mm. in terms of in terms of why why we we really need to aim for it as part of our practice definitely. Mm-hmm. What about then say if we go right to the, back to the very beginning kind of before you know these children who are coming into the class yeah. okay uh, whether that be in nursery or whether that be in reception or what wherever that might be within the EYFS really the if we're talking about children coming into the class and you think, right, I'm going to have, I've really got to use children's interests, children's prior experiences, I'm going to use that cultural capital, 
we need to really think about how are we going to get to know that information, don't we, in order to be able to run with it. Yeah. So you've really got to be organised in advance as part of the transition processes in order to get to it, really, haven't you, I think? Yeah. So what sorts of things would you generally recommend? I know schools and settings do loads of different yeah, things about transition. Things. How would you find out the information? So um, what I've done as a teacher, mm. my, the most valuable thing that we did was the home visits. Yes, yeah. Because then you you could, parents can talk really openly about themselves. They like to show you things. Children like to show you things, their favorite toys, new toys, you know, the new dog, the new cat, and all of these different things that they have in their home. And um, you're just there, in yes. it. Yeah. And you find out that, you know, oh, James is really interested in steam trains and his dad volunteers at the Great Central Railway yeah. and knows how to fix steam trains. So you instantly find out that information. So home visits were really, really valuable. Yes. And if you are able to do home visits, do them. If you're not currently doing home visits, talk to your SLT. Is this something that you could do? I know it takes time. Yes. Um, you know, and there maybe have to be release time, but actually it is well worth it because you are building that relationship. Well, we did the home visits before the end of the, the school year, with, you know, the last few weeks of term. So we can gather information because we use it to choose um, who were going to be the key persons. We looked at how yeah. children connected to with us when we were on the home yeah. visit. So that's great. And it's been like, oh, yeah. actually, Mr. Rawlings, that child connected yes. better with you. Yeah. You, you're going to be their key person. Yeah, fantastic. So really, really amazing. Yes. So if you can do them. Home visits, I think, I, I think are well worth doing. Absolutely. It's interesting in that I often meet people who do do home visits and it, they always say the same things. They say, well, it does take a lot of time. Mm-hmm. It is. It can be really tricky to free up time to be able to do mm-hmm. it. There is the, the logistics of trying to to um, send out um, times to all of the parents and to hope that they're in and all of you know all of those sorts of things and so it can be tricky. But even having said that, everybody I've ever spoken to about home visits says even with all of that, they are definitely well worth doing. Yeah. Um, because people will say things like. Um, even before you even get to that idea of how much I know about those children through it, you get to the, even on a simple level, you remember your children's names better at the start of the year because there's something to hook that Mm. name onto. You've got, you know, you remember, oh, that's, that's, Fred, he's got a dog at home, and you know the dog barked when we walked when we mm. came to came to have a yeah. to have a home visit, or you know you remember remember this child, you know they went they went crazy about superheroes or whatever mm. it might be. You've got a bit more than just a name on the register yeah. to really get to know that child Absolutely. before they come to you. So you remember the children you, more. You do, I and think. then when like on their first day, you can say, "Oh, true, I came to your house, and you know I met your new kitten. How's Sooty getting on?" <laughs> And it just, you know, because it's that building of the relationship, yeah, isn't yeah. it? And that you've got that familiarity. 
novelty and it's not so scary coming into like your your new class. Not absolutely. Can be yeah. a scary experience and for children. You get an idea of which children are the confident children yes. and which children are the ones that actually might hide behind the sofa the whole absolutely. time that you're there absolutely. or whatever it might be. I once yeah. had I did a home visit once because we used to do home visits. I remember once I did a home visit of a, a, a little boy called Kieran and. Um, when I, I knocked on the door, we knocked on the door, and, and he came and answered the door. And uh, he was grinning away, really happy, and, uh, and his, his mum shouted from inside, you know, let them in. And uh, just as we came in, he said, do you want to know a joke? I said, yeah, go on then. And he said, uh, he said did you hear about the man with five legs? I said, no. He said, his trousers fit him like a glove. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, crikey, you know, that's pretty impressive, yeah. isn't it? For a child to, A, remember a joke anyway, because jokes yeah. are not easy, but also to have the confidence to tell somebody you don't Absolutely. really know yet. Absolutely. You, know, you might not find that out on the stage. You know, I'll remember you straight. I mean, yeah, this is years ago now. Yes, and that you're learning but, um, something about the family then, about their sense of yeah, humour. You've you, you built a, you've already built a bit of a relationship, even within yeah. a short visit. Yes. What's good about home visits as well is it breaks down barriers between like parents and, and teachers. Yes. Because sometimes parents might not have had a great experience at school. Mm. And so they are feeling nervous, fearful, distrusting yes. of like school and, yeah. and teachers. But if they can see us in their own home and, you know, we have nice chats about things yeah. and it's more of a kind of on the same level and actually we're on their territory yes yeah yeah it I, I often find creates a different dynamic parents will often open up more within their own so. home environment so mm. they'll say oh do you know what we you know we've not been sure about this you know mm. we're we're finding this quite difficult he's, mm. he's our he or she our only child and we're finding it quite difficult the idea yeah. that actually they're going to be at school I've, I've been yeah. really enjoying having them at home you know it could be that mm. it could be all sorts of things yeah. um, and they'll often say something or they'll say something that's concerned them about school mm. um, or concerning the child more that they might not have said had they been within the, the classroom yes, environment. Yes, because other people are there. You know, when yeah. you stay in play days, yeah. other people are around, aren't they? And they might want to tell you something, but really it's not the... Yeah. Yeah. right environment so no, you, no, no, you no. never find out what they want to tell you absolutely you know it can be busy it can sometimes be too busy so yeah. so I certainly think that that helps I, I do think in order to get the most out of a visit like that you've got to be prepared like you say I think to meet them at a kind of on a level playing field mm. you can't go in there with a clipboard you no. can go on you know or an iPad or a, a kind of a list of key questions yes, or you know really a, you've got like to be a coffee morning kind you, of loop Key. I think so. I think mm. you, the more low-key you can make it, the more you tend to get out of it, bizarrely, mm. I know, because often usually the more you prepare and the more you kind of take along with things, usually yeah. you get more out of it. But I think with a home visit, it's the opposite. Yeah. If you can keep it quite low-key, you kind of leave space for the talk. Mm. Whereas if you go along and you've got a long list of questions and things I want to check, yes. it tends to be a bit like I'm checking up on you, yes, a bit like... Up. A visit 
to check. Yes, and, and that, that can that lose the confidence then with parents. Yeah. There was one home visit I did where um, we went out into the back garden because the child wanted to show us their new trampoline. And it was one of those really massive ones. So Helen, my nursery nurse, and me and the child and their stepdad, <laughs> we're on the trampoline. <laughs> Having a great time. <laughs> but it's so that, yeah. seeing the teacher as well in that more of like a playful... Um, but it's that know, appreciating that the relationship comes first, yes, doesn't it? I, I think, think that's, so. that's And then you can find out about this cultural capital. Yeah, you can. It's more open. You can. Um, other ways, um, you know, because there are some schools where we couldn't do the home visits. Yes. So we used to send out, um, you know, kind of like an all about me. Yeah. But we'd... You know, like the normal sorts of questions. Obviously, we'd have like the normal sorts of questions about like name, date of birth, uh, have you got any siblings, name of parents, you know, all the grandparents, that sort of thing. But we'd also ask, have you got a favourite football team? Yeah, Who do you support? All sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? To, think to try about, and find out yeah. more things about the family. Yeah, it's just teasing out that conversation. Yes. Isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because then, if we know that, oh, right, okay, we've got some. Um, I'm from Leicester, so I'll say Leicester City supporters, that yeah. <laughs> I can be yeah. you know, talking to children about, mm. oh, you know, um, Vardy, I saw him score a brilliant goal, that was an amazing penalty. I might not be interested in football, yeah. but if I know the child is interested in football, I can strike up conversation. You can have some sort of connection. And maybe the child is, you know, shy or confident, doesn't want to speak, but if I'm speaking to the child about Vardy, yeah. Then they, that's they their thing, they come yeah. to lie. Absolutely, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I th- do you know what I think is an interesting thing to consider as well, though, alongside this? I think um, that th- we've also got to be wary that not all children will have had the same experiences. No. Mm-hmm. So we've got to be careful that actually we don't create a, I suppose, an environment, a learning environment or, or practice that favours the children who have had more experiences. Mm. Do, you see, do you see what I mean? That, yes, that I think that's an easy, it's a very easy thing to fall into, isn't it? A trap to fall into that actually what yes. we end up with is the children who've had more experiences then are more confident to talk about those experiences mm. and then they benefit more from an approach that is built around interests and experiences whereas other children who come to school not having they they perhaps haven't got that to start off particularly at the moment with um you know these children were in the lockdown yes so looking at places where i was teaching during that period i taught in a rural setting so the children were out on farms yeah having amazing time and then I was in the city, yeah. and the children in the city are locked in flats yeah. with no access to the outdoors. Completely different so experience completely of lockdown. Completely yeah. different experiences, and those children have developed differently yeah. because of those yeah. experiences. So you've got one child that's going to give you a lot, and another child yeah. where yeah. you're going to find it really difficult to find things out. Yes. Um, so with children like that, we would set up interactions but it might you have to be you have to be really thoughtful mm. and really really careful yeah because if you go in straight away yeah. you might sort of like put the child off yes yeah, yeah so it's about being very very sensitive and these things have to be built up over time you're not going to know this 
in like week one of being in school. You've got to build up these um, interactions and relationships slowly. And it might be to begin with, depending, you know, like a child's very shy. They might have um, very limited communication and language skills that you're observing them, seeing where they go and play in your environment. Are there certain things where they prefer to go and play? Going in and just parallel playing, if you're in the water, they're in the water, you're sort of like just copying what they're doing. And it's just a very kind of like slowly, slowly approach. Yeah. It might be then you start to talk and add things in. Yes. And then you're looking out for a child that might look at you as you know just you know communication yeah, is yeah, not just speaking mate. is it no, it's, uh, yeah of course so it's course. like eye contact gestures mm. it might be like noises mm. so we'd be looking out for that and basically to take our time mm. in developing the relationship with the child yeah. and finding out about them and i think you know we're following children's interests yes um and putting that into provision because that's what we did with the cultural capital of course, yeah. like bringing in you know, jane likes trains so let's make sure we've got a book about trains and we've got flying scotsman book and stuff yes. like that but i do think with some children who have limited experiences that you might have a train set in your class and all they do is play with the train set mm-hmm because that's the only experience that they've had oh, yeah. and they feel safe yes. there because they know what to do and then they're never venturing out yeah. into any of your other provision mm. because what they know, what they're familiar with, where they feel safe is here. So then you've got to work with that child. It has to be done again really, really carefully mm. of broadening their horizons. Yeah. And this is the bit where it's like learning and development that we need to give these children experiences because maybe all of my class, they were in in flats during lockdown. They haven't been anywhere. How do we know that they're going to be a really keen historian if they've never had access to anything to do with history? So then you need to be providing these experiences for them yes. because we don't know what they're going to yeah. like. They don't maybe know. Absolutely. And, and so that's that idea of, of, for the children who you think haven't had any of those experiences, we need to be bringing those experiences in to our practice yes. in order that we can then build on it. Yes. And, Do you know and what? they could be simple, couldn't they? Absolutely, they could be simple. But these children that may be, you know, on the surface level, they think, oh, there's not much going on in that family. Mm. But it could be that they're going to the bingo every Friday yes. night. Yeah, yeah. You've got to and connect these, in some way. There's yeah. these other things that are happening in yeah. the family that, yeah. you know, they're going down the football and they're going to the bingo and there's all of these, like, social events that actually... Yeah. That's really great stuff. Absolutely. We need to yeah. know about yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. But we'll find these things out over time. Yes. You, you're not going to know it all at once yeah absolutely and there are certain I think there are certain routines that you could that you can put in place as an earliest teacher that are about doing things together almost like mm. a family a family yeah, ideally family. would do mm. but that you're doing it kind of with a, within a, a class group yeah and they're sort of the same belonging 
idea involved, is involved around it. So, for example, you know, a, a walk to the park that might happen a, a, on a regular basis. Mm. Not every week, perhaps, but maybe every two or three weeks that you go and you and have a walk to the park and have a, see a different thing together. Mm. Um, or you might have a group of children who go with an adult to, to go and buy the snack on a Friday. Yeah. And that actually a, a walk to the local shops and yeah. back actually could be the sort of thing that, that some children just don't get yeah, the opportunity not, to do. It. it could be that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, so it doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, a great big grand gesture. No, just uh, you know, a, a really big trip to the seaside necessarily. Yeah, just it could really be really simple. Simple trip out, mm-hmm. really. Even on like your school grounds. Yeah. Going around the school grounds. Doing well, yeah, stuff, looking for things, going absolutely. on adventures yeah. together. Yeah. Doesn't have to be, yeah, you don't need to be going to like Mablethorpe for the day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All of these like, yeah, really amazing trips. Yeah. yeah. Use what you've got, but set it up more like a family that you're going to go and explore together and find out together. Yes. Then yeah. children become interested yeah. in that. Yeah. I think well, also what you you mentioned to me before was that, that idea of... of not just the children, but the adults in the class, and how yeah. actually, in order to, in order to build that that ethos, I suppose, around mm. cultural capital and valuing the individuals within within this class group, that actually that includes the adults as well. And I think that's yeah. such an important point. That yes, we we used to share a lot of our kind of like lives with mm. the children because if we're expecting them to share stuff with us and mm. families to share stuff with us. <laughs> We were quite open with them, really, yeah, about yeah. our interests. So, um, you know, the children all knew that I was really loved horses and I got these animals and they knew that Mrs. Broaden was uh, terrified of spiders. So occasionally they played tricks on her with <laughs> spiders and they know that Miss Cresswell does yoga. So they know about us yeah. We're sharing the experiences and trying to find things that actually we've got in common. Yes. And I remember once there was um, one of our uh, girls, her cat had died. And so we were having a discussion as, a, you know, like a group. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, you know, um, your cat has gone to like the Rainbow Bridge. And we had discussions about where do animals go yes. when they die? Because it was a Church of England school. So, you know, we learn about like, you know, going to heaven and stuff. So children might do animals go to heaven when they die. So we talked about the Rainbow Bridge. And then a couple of weeks later, my dog, I had to have Pippin put to sleep. And I was in school the next day and... I was upset and um, the children were like, oh, Miss Tani, look a bit upset today. Why is Orge when I had to have Pippin put to sleep yesterday? And Bev, she's a dog lover. And so Bev and me were a bit sort of like tearful. And then the girl who had the cat that died mm. said, Miss Tani, don't worry because Pippin's at the Rainbow Bridge. <laughs> and then we were all just like crying. <laughs> but it was that, you know, that shared yeah, experience yeah. that we've, we have these animals and we love them and then our animals have died and then we're in this like grief sharing the grief together but that was actually really lovely but yeah absolutely yeah. I mean, and, and, and what it makes me think of as well is is that learning is is built on the, the strength of the relationships but and also the language mm-hmm. you know the the, the 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 conversation the talk mm-hmm. that's happening 
And yeah. that too, you've got a really strong foundation for learning there. If you're mm. building those relationships and you've got that closeness and you've got that understanding and that security within it, mm. and then alongside that, you've got the talk. So the children know that you that you love horses, for example, and so mm. you can tell them a story about you'll never guess what happened. Yeah. This morning when I came, came to the, went to the, see the horses, you will never guess. And what you're doing there is is you're you're drawing them in because they know they know how much the horses mean to you. Yes, you see absolutely. what I mean? So in isolation, just say, oh, you'll never guess what happened to me. Mm. Is might draw them in a bit, but, but it might not. Whereas when you've invested something emotional in that, because mm. you've got that that they've built that relationship with you yeah. you've absolutely got their attention absolutely and they'd say Miss Turner tell us the story of when <laughs> you know because they enjoyed yeah. it yeah. and children would tell us their stories and this is an important bit as well Andy about storytelling yes that um, storytelling doesn't have to be from a book yeah and I think sometimes children get put off storytelling because they think it has to be read or it has to be written down yes yeah. but if we can um, explore storytelling Telling, um, like traditional kind of, you yeah. know, storytelling, yeah, telling yeah, a story, and children get confident. And yeah. Miss Turn is telling her story of horses, and Broughton's telling the story of like the ginormous spider that she had to phone up someone to <laughs> yeah. come and get out of the house because she didn't dare touch it. The children love all yes. these stories. And, and, and repeating stories is important, isn't Absolutely. it? You know, it's not just, it again. you know, yeah. we, we do that, don't we? We, we say, oh, you know, when we get together with friends that we maybe haven't seen for a while, what we do is we reminisce. Yeah. And we tell that story again. Do you remember when? Yeah. And it's what brings us together a bit, doesn't it? It, bring, it brings us together as human beings. Finding that connection. And, and it helps us to connect and it, it, it provides a rich context for learning mm. as well. Yes. Interesting. Uh, a boy that I taught the other year who'd got a motorbike mm. and then I showed him a video of me riding a motorbike yeah. and you know then we had like the discussion <laughs> I know I wasn't, I wasn't going so I was like, gosh how does he ride that bike because I was going very very slow <laughs> but it was great we could have like discussions on it and yeah it, it was it was it was really um, you know valuable children feel valued yeah but then within the provision how it worked was that there's just snippets yeah. where children are represented. So there's a sense of belonging, not everywhere. And it wasn't that, oh, children are, you know, they're interested in Darth Vader, so what we're doing is Darth Vader all year. Yeah. But there'd be like an element of Darth Vader in the class. Yes. Um, but it doesn't take over everything. Yeah. It's just there, but it's quite subtle. Yes, they know it's there. They know, you it's, know it's there. there, but maybe not everybody has spotted it because no. they're not interested. They're not interested in it. Yeah, and that's a very good point because it's got to be meaningful, hasn't it? Mm. I think that where this sometimes breaks down is where people will say, "Well, I'm following the children's interests," and it might be a group of children who are interested mm. in, I don't know, dinosaurs, say, mm. and then suddenly. All of the classroom provision has become dinosaur themed. Yes, when you're doing a topic on dinosaurs. And it's the whole lot. Yeah. And, and it just becomes incredibly tenuous that mm. corner somehow has ended up with a dinosaur theme. And yeah. you think, well, why? You know, yeah. you know and all of dinosaurs. that kind of thing. No, so it wasn't like that. It was just part of, you know, like in continuous provision. Yes. Yeah. Or it might be that it becomes like an enhancement, but it doesn't take over everything yeah it's very very subtle and it actually might just be conversational yeah 
And something about um, what I think is valuable about cultural capital too is that in school you've got to be wary that um, it's instructional yes everything is instructional with children whereas we want conversation so actually using the cultural capital yeah enables conversation about what we're doing in our own lives and yeah where we're similar and where we're different and oh we've got you know james is really into the flying scotsman so i've got the flying scotsman book let's have a conversation about it tell me what you know yeah it's just within provision and of course at the moment Particularly, I mean, that's always been important, but at the moment, particularly at this point where you think actually so many children are coming into schools mm. not having not having acquired those skills in terms of speech, speech and language mm-hmm. and communication um, and that they we really need to get up and running with that and there's that yeah. real focus on, on that. Absolutely. Actually, this approach is the perfect yes, way of doing that, they, isn't it? Um, if they've got an interest and they can talk about it, yes. then they're more likely going to be able to write about it. So um, the other year when I was teaching at, at Swannington, mm-hmm. there was a, a boy called Charlie. And Charlie does not like writing at all. And he just wants to really be outside, mm-hmm. being physical. And he particularly liked construction. And then one day we were just talking about the new Star Wars movies and he was talking about the Mandalorian. So I said to Bev after school, I said, right, let's get some Mandalorian stuff for our editor's box because we had this writing area. It's more than a writing area, it was a publishing area. Okay. So we put um, images with the Man- from the Mandalorian movie in there. And then in the morning we said to Charlie, look what we've got for you. And Charlie spent hours in there. Yeah. Because we said, we don't know anything about the Mandalorian, Charlie, we haven't got a clue. Can you teach us about it? Write it down and we'll read it later. And then we were like, you know, Charlie, do you want to go out and play now? Do you want to go outside? He's like, no, I'm doing another piece about the Mandalorian. Brilliant. Yeah. And that's and very powerful, ta- isn't it? Yes, and we tapped into his interest. Yeah. And actually, he knew a lot. And when motivated, mm. he got some really good literacy skills. This came from, um, I was lucky enough to... Um, have trained with Helen Bromley. Oh yes, yeah. And this is going back into sort of like the um, second half of like the noughties. So quite a long time ago. And um, Helen shared an article called um, We Hear You Joshua. Yes. And it was about um, a child who had um, poor literacy skills in class and really demotivated, low involvement, not making the progress, teachers worried about, you know, what he's doing. And um, it turns out that once they got to know Joshua and that in his family, they were all into superheroes. Joshua is particularly into superheroes. And at home, Joshua creates his own comic strips. And when they looked at the comic strips he was creating at home, they were really advanced compared to what he was doing in school. And it was because in school, they're doing like fairy stories and rewriting fairy stories. And he had no interest. So he had no motivation doesn't want to do it. Whereas actually, he was really able, but doesn't show his ability at school. But then, it was like a project that they did. It was his TA that did this project with him. And then it's like, right, let's put things out that Joshua is interested in. And that's kind of like when I started this editor's box. And then we'd have images. As soon as we know children are interested in something, 
it's in the editor's box. And we had like wallets of different things. So there was um, some girls where we just heard a conversation about shimmer and shine. <laughs> and Miss um, Cresswell, who's my uh, nursery nurse, and we were like, what is shimmer and shine? We've got no clue. <laughs> um, children told us about it. It's like, right, let's get some shimmer and shine images. What is shimmer and shine? They're like superheroes. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, okay. they're kind of like... Um, Power, do you know like the Powerpuff Girls? Yeah, I think, Along yeah, the same yeah, sorts yeah. of lines, like a yeah. cartoon, yeah. superheroes, female. Yeah. Um, so we put that out and they, you've got it, these girls are then writing Shimmer and Shine stories. Yeah. And then we've got the Mandalorian, they're writing Mandalorian <laughs> stories. Yeah. And, do, and then use it, and then they knew that in phonics, which they didn't really like, mm. you know. <laughs> <laughs> But then we talk about, oh, in phonics, you're learning these skills, and then you can use them to write about the Mandalorian. And then they started to get yeah, it. And they it gives them to make so much meaningful, isn't it? Then? Yeah, you think, well, actually, that's why I need to know that skill. Yeah. There's a reason for it. Mm. Whereas if if that part of the day, and phonics is a good example, sometimes mm. phonics is just done, and then that's mm. it. Yeah. But if phonics, if we teach a skill, Children, in order to really know it and then embed it, need to know why they need to know it. They need to know that it's a meaningful skill. Mm-hmm. And I think this knowing, that idea of knowing what, what makes that child tick mm-hmm. means that actually you can say, well, because you'll need to need it for when you're doing your comic book. You'll need it for when you're doing this. Yes. Yeah, all of those yeah. sorts of things. Yeah, and it makes yeah. it meaningful for the child and then motivated to do yeah. it then. And actually then become more motivated in the phonics because they see purpose Absolutely. rather than, oh, Miss Turner makes do this lesson for like yes. 20 minutes half an hour and they don't really like it because yeah. we want to go and play in the construction area but the cultural capital it wasn't just brought in to um like the writing to motivate writing but you know we had a woodworking area and there's some children that you know on the farm they're making really elaborate things um, like their own insect homes and bird stands and one child built a boat <laughs> with his granddad <laughs> and it's like right okay so my woodworking area I have to be providing some advanced stuff now Absolutely. for yeah. these children who actually are very very able yeah. and if I'm just doing like knocking nails then that's holding that child back and yeah. they're not going to be showing their, you know, true kind of like ability. So it's not just for the writing. It was kind of like well, in yeah. all different that depth, areas. Isn't it? It's that depth of thinking about all of those experiences, yeah. using what you know about the children and using what you know about the materials and resources that you're offering mm-hmm. and linking the two together. Yeah. And um, in a family where they were <laughs> real into sports and being fit and healthy mm. and strong, we set up um, like with a wheelbarrow and transporting like six tonne of sand wow. to the sand <laughs> But it's meaningful. But it's meaningful it? and yeah. it's all about yeah, yeah. fit and strong and that that yeah. child then really connected yeah. to that. And then, you know, like you said, that, that child that then is the expert and you can see the chest all puffed <laughs> out because they are the one that's really strong that Absolutely. can load the sand into the, the trailer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then you know, wheel it up the hill because they are so strong, and it just makes them feel great about themselves. And then other children are like, "Wow, I want to be doing <laughs> yeah. that too. I want to be strong." Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, in terms of the um, 
what this leg again so that coming back to what it looks like in terms of practice mm -hmm. planning is going to be something that people ask about okay yeah so say if if you're saying if we're, if we're saying right we want to know all of those interests about those children what makes them tick as a learner what drives mm -hmm. their learning how would you how would you record that in terms of planning what would you how would you go about yes. doing that have you tried different ways of um well yeah with planning i was like we've got all of these things going on in yeah. our provision mm. how on earth is this recorded <laughs> and it's fine you know because you might not need to record yeah, absolutely. it but yeah. there are some um settings schools where you have to have planning in yeah. or people will ask to see your planning yeah. and it's like oh my goodness i've got nowhere written down about the flying scotsman or you know my yeah. woodworking or you know yes. um, there was one child that was really into the prodigy when <laughs> 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 like the friday rave and listen to like chemical brothers and the prodigy and all of these things that this child knew about and yeah. his mum and dad they were you know like in the 90s and it was really important for them that music scene <laughs> and it came into our class where is that in my planning yeah. I haven't got a clue how to record it, yeah. but um, I asked Helen Bromley. Good question. <laughs> yeah, that was Helen. Question. This is what's happening in my classroom. Yeah, yeah. How on earth do I record it? And she told me about the nature needs implications okay. planning grid. That is just the three columns. Yeah. And it's really, really simple. So um, if you're the nature of the child is that they're you know, really interested in Star Wars or that they're really active and want to be physical, that's their nature. What is it that they need? And so, you know, the child that is interested in Star Wars or trains or Shimmer and Shine or whatever, they need an adult to show an interest in that. They need resources within the classroom to explore their interests further and become even more expert. That's what we were looking for yeah. as well. So get even more expert at Flying Scotsman. We have to, you know, resource our classroom and it's about the adults as well. That's what they need. So what are the implications? Right, I'm um, putting the Flying Scotsman book in my book area. I'm putting this out in construction. I'm going to make sure I've got this in my edited box. So it's just seeding bits in the classroom. Yeah. The sort of like enhancements, but it's very, very subtle. And presumably some of it might be about the adult. So you might say, yes, actually, it's, it's not, it doesn't always make sense that it's a resource. It might be that we say, right, this adult is going to be alongside them. Yeah. Making sure they've got that language to go with the interests that they've got. Absolutely, because the best resource in the class you know, is your adult, adult yeah, isn't it? absolutely. So, yeah, it was more about like the adults as well. Go and we used to, um, in our kind of timetable, map in adults spending time with children because there are certain children that are in like your radar yeah. and then others that are on like the sidelines and they can get forgotten yes so we made sure that on like the nature needs implications planning that it's like every day adults need to go and spend like 10 minutes with this child because their nature is actually could be um you know language development mm -hmm. so they need this so the implications are so yes. it wasn't just about like the cultural capital no, sure. it was kind yeah. of like lots of things really yes but it's all of those 
subtleties that's not on like your weekly planner, which is more kind of just continuous provision or project work, adult-led activities. In the EYFS, there's all of these different layers to the onion mm. that's going on in your environment. So Helen sharing that with me was a massive help. That's yeah. It was um, to begin with. It's a bit of you know it is a bit of work. There's a lot of thought, and then you're writing it down. But actually, the natures of these children didn't really change. If I look at myself, when I was four, I was obsessed with horses. As a 48-year-old, I'm still obsessed with horses. So we've got these like things in us that we're really interested in. So once it was done, it wasn't that we were having to write it out all again, like weekly or half-termly or whatever. Sometimes we just add bits in. The more we knew about the child, we're starting to add things in because this kind of like develops over the whole year yes um and of course what it leads to because you're prepared to really connect with that child and then also extend their thinking or knowledge or skills mm -hmm. around one area using one area or one interest that what you get to presumably is is a real depth there. Mm. I'm trying not to use the word but um, greater depth. You know that. Yeah. Get, you know what I mean. That, yes, because we that, can... that real depth of understanding of of, of an area of, of really being interested in it and going into real depth in it and learning skills around yeah. learning about it. Yes, and then with the editor's box, which is like a publishing zone, yes. yeah. they can then go and make their book, yes. their non-fiction book, all about everything that they've learned about the Flying Scotsman and they'll hopefully know more information that they, from what they knew at the beginning of the year, because we've done like mini projects on it. Yes. Then and these things, it's in that's in the nature needs implications plan. It's like, why is there, you know, like, um, why is that child learning about the Flying Scotsman? Why are they making a papier-mâché Flying Scotsman, you know, engine? Oh, well, because... Yeah. James needs to explore this and he's doing a topic on this is his own project and it's part of the provision yeah. I always remember when um, Harley turned up at school and he's like bounding in he said I'm going to make Thor's hammer today <laughs> because his thing was superheroes mm -hmm. but within our provision we've got the atelier Yes. so in the atelier there was all the joint modelling children were taught how to use papier-mâché um, so during the day that's what he did. He came in with the idea of making Thor's hammer. We're allowing him to follow his interests because we're using cultural capital. We know that is important for the child, Thor. And now he's going off to yeah. create. And he made this amazing hammer. Yeah. And papier-mâché'd it once it was dry, painted it up, and then he made a display and labelled it all up. And there was like a drape on the table. And then he'd got a block out of block play and positioned it, you know, because we, yeah. in our class, we, that's how we display stuff, so he kind of displayed it, yes. how we would yeah. display it, um, and that was it, he meant yes. it. But isn't that fantastic that through that approach, he's, he knows that he can have an idea, yeah, no. and then come and do it, and be successful with it, and by the end of the day, he can display his own work using a variety of different skills, including mm. writing, and, and a range of other sorts of physical skills too. Yeah. And that's done through him driving it. He's driving it. And at that, I remember the time of the year, because we did do, we've got continuous provision, but then we also like had projects and then projects within projects. Yes. <laughs> it was complicated. There's lots of layers. Yeah. And um, our project was, um, it was um, 
we were having Venetian balls. Yeah. So we got we were making the masks, and it was Cinderella, and we were the, the staff at the palace, and we're going to set up the ball, and um, children were learning how to dance, and we were watching like episodes of Strictly and stuff. It was you know real good fun project. So that was going on, but within that, and learning all about dancing and costume and um, preparation of parties. We've also got Harley who can go off and make Thor's hammer and other children that are going off and doing this and that. Lots of layers, Andy. It was, it's kind of like, you know, where you're a swan gliding (laughs) on the top, but underneath there's a lot going on. Loads going on around Loads going on. But what we were looking for was children with high wellbeing and high involvement. And if we can put things in that class that they can connect to, we're getting that higher involvement. We might not see that high involvement in the phonics lesson or the adult-led literacy, but we're seeing the high involvement writing about the Mandalorian in Editor's Box. Nikki, that's powerful, powerful (laughs) stuff. Thank you so much for joining us. I know people listening, Mm -hmm. uh, wherever they happen to be listening, will find that really interesting and really useful to listen to you. Um, So, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you ever so much. It's been great to speak to you. And you too. So there you have it. Thank you very much to Nikki for joining us on this week's episode of the Early Excellence Podcast. And also thank you, of course, to you people for listening along as well. Um, That's about it for this week. See you next time, everybody. Have a good week.